Well, happy Monday, everybody. This is Heidi St. John, and you have found me right here at the intersection of faith and culture. Welcome to the Off the Bench podcast. Today is Mailbox Monday, and I'm going to spend some time today answering listener questions. We're also going to touch on something really amazing that's happening in the state of Ohio right now. The House has voted to override the governor's veto, which would ban uh, sex changes for minors, trans participation in girls' sports. This is a pretty big story. And the question becomes, how often does this happen and how does it happen? It's a little peek into the legislative process. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Well, I'm glad you guys have joined me today. I hope you had a great weekend. I'm getting a lot of feedback from you with regard to spiritual leadership in the home, especially as it relates to the last two podcasts I did on marriage. Keep those coming. We are putting polls up for you guys to participate in over at Spotify. And I love that you're sharing this podcast. Something that is really helpful if you will do this for us is to leave reviews for the podcast over at iTunes. That's another way that you can help me get the word out about the Off the Bench podcast. If you're following the news, and I know a lot of the listeners of this show are very keen to do that, you may have seen something that came through last week. And I thought this was worth talking about. Actually, my um, my assistant, Melissa, brought this to my attention. And it's kind of an interesting peek into the legislative process that also kind of tells you about the depth of the battle that is raging in this country right now over whether or not minors should be allowed to have sex change surgeries, which, you know, you guys know my opinion on this. You can't uh, get a cigarette if you're under 18 in this country. You can't sign up to go into the United States military. You can't get a driver's license in most states unless you're over 16. But in the United States, many, many organizations, and a lot of them are very politically active, are pushing for young people to be able to get life-altering, body-changing, and body-destroying surgeries. They're calling it gender affirmation surgery. Well, I got a question for you. If your gender is not determined by your genitals, if that has nothing to do with it, then how does removing them affirm it? I'd really like to know. It seems to me that the double standard in this country, and particularly as it comes from trans rights activists, is absolutely stunning. And we see this conversation, this controversy really on display in the state of Ohio right now. This is out of Breitbart. The Ohio House, which has a Republican supermajority. So keep in mind, this is, I mean, what's happening in Ohio is amazing as it relates to the fight over whether or not children should be allowed to chemically castrate themselves or heaven forbid, actually get a surgery to either castrate themselves or take off body parts or whatever. But the only reason we're even having this conversation right now is because Ohioans have elected in both the House and the state Senate their super majorities. And so this is why this is even able to happen. It really reminds us again how important it is. These local races, whoever your local representative is, it's very important going forward for the direction that your state will actually take. So so at the time of this recording, they were poised to override uh, Governor DeWine's veto of House Bill 68, or quote, enact Ohio saving adolescents from experimentation. In other words, the uh, the acronym for that is SAFE. What a great, whoever came up with that, boy, 10, five, 10, 10 stars for you guys. Uh, not five, 10, 10 is better. 
so this was an effort to protect children and families and female sports teams from the consequences of the radical left's embrace of gender ideology. Republican State Representative Gary Click said this, consultation with an ideologically captured physician does not grant parents the right to harm children through irreversible surgeries and harmful drugs. Boy, he's completely right. He went on to say no parent has the constitutional right to harm their child. The same government that requires you to send your children to school prohibits you from giving them illicit drugs and can charge parents with neglect and abuse and also has the obligation to prevent parents and physicians from chemically castrating and sterilizing their children. The bill will head back to the Senate, and if both chambers vote to override DeWine's veto, HB 68 will go into effect 90 days after the final vote. So the Ohio Senate comes back and is in session on January 24th. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. But the exciting thing about this is that they were even able to do it in the first place. And it's pretty amazing what's happening because it's a this is a rare thing. And in fact, I was reading this over at uh, an article that came in from Politico. It said, at odds with the governor, the Ohio State House overrides the trans bill veto and it marks the ninth attempt in wait for it 40 years. So this is a very unusual thing to happen. And so we are expecting this override to go through. We're expecting the governor's veto, which I don't know what's wrong with the wine, but you know, it's like, come on, dude. Uh, clearly the people in Ohio are not behind you. And it's, it's amazing to me. Ohio governors do not regularly veto bills. Just over 100 have been vetoed since 1969. It's rare for the legislature then to try to override these vetoes and even less common for them to succeed. But now that the Ohio House is convening with this attempt to override DeWine, who wants to apparently make it easier for young people to get chemically castrated and surgically mutilated by these woke ideological uh, physicians, then we're going to see this, I think, set a precedent for more things like this to happen around the country. Well, I was really curious to know, how does this work in different states around the United States? Well, I found out that in all 50 states, legislators can override gubernatorial vetoes. In other words, this is something that could happen in every state across America. A party that can override a gubernatorial veto without any votes from members of the minority party has a veto-proof majority. So what it takes to override a veto varies depending on the state's laws between one half and two thirds of sitting legislators. In some cases, the governor will be from a different party than the one who holds veto-proof majority in the legislature, and this gives rise to occasional conflicts over vetoes. And so obviously, DeWine is uh, significantly out of touch with both his House and his Senate, which is why they're able to override it. Uh, going into last year's election, Four states had veto-proof legislative majority and a governor for the opposing party, Kansas, Kentucky, Maryland, and Massachusetts. And following the election, Kansas, Kentucky, and Vermont still have veto-proof legislation majorities and a governor of the opposing party. Party. So really fascinating uh, politically to see what it takes to override a veto, and apparently Ohio has it right now. In Washington state, for example, 
the Democrats hold a supermajority in both the House and the Senate here. And so we also have uh, a very woke, you know, climate change crazy governor who was one of the worst in COVID with regard to lockdowns and firing people from their jobs and forced vaccine mandates. In fact, we lost so many of our, our best and our brightest, not only from our military, but from our hospitals, from our police, the firefighters, because of what uh, Governor Inslee did here in Washington state. But there was really nothing legislatively that we could do to stop him because there's no one with the moral fortitude to stand up against him in either the House or the Senate. And so we there's if if a bill like this were to come before Governor Inslee right now, this is how come we have radical comprehensive sex education in Washington state. It couldn't be vetoed because we don't have super majorities that would oppose him in either the House or the Senate. And so this is a really big deal, what's happening in Ohio. And we know now that uh, that this is part of the process of checks and balances that have been set up in different states have different processes for doing it. But I'd encourage you, watch what's happening in Ohio and then continue to pray about how God might have you be involved in the 2024 races. There's going to be a lot of talk about the uh, the presidential campaigns. Obviously, you saw last week that Chris Christie dropped out of the race, you know, not without telling everybody that he was going to do everything he could to make sure that Donald Trump didn't get reelected to be the president of the United States. I find that to be absolutely uh, disingenuous coming from someone who claims to be a Republican. Listen, if you don't like the guy, fine. But for you to say you're going to do everything you can to keep him from being the president, what are you going to do if it's Trump running against Biden? So what you're basically saying is you're going to vote for a continuation of the tyrannical leadership, if you want to call it that, that's coming from Joe Biden. So good riddance to Chris Christie. I was glad to see him go. And uh, now we're down to just a few people in the Republican primary running. I still believe that at the end of the day, Donald Trump will be the nominee. We'll see how it goes in months to come. But while that continues to play out on the national scene, I want to remind you that the reason our cities are dying and the reason our towns are dying and the reason our counties and our and our uh, parishes have been overtaken by leftists is because of what's happening, not at the federal level, but what's happening at the local level. And here in Washington State, Firmly Planted Action is getting ready to take a pretty significant role in the 2024 races. We're going to be focusing almost exclusively on local races and issue-based uh, races that we see will be very important for the health of the family unit and for parental rights and for medical freedom. These are things that we need to be talking about at the local level. And so be praying, you guys, about how you can get involved because you were literally born for this time in human history. God could have put you anywhere he wanted, but he put you right here in 2024. You were born for such a time as this. And uh, I, I'm personally just... I'm looking forward to seeing more and more of God's people getting off the bench and onto the battlefield and engaging in the process of electing those people that ultimately make these critical decisions for families in our local jurisdictions. I want to look uh, for a few minutes at the questions that you guys have been sending in. Before I do that, I want to remind you, we are moving ahead in our study of the book of Esther. I'd love to have you join us. That study is uh, called Esther, A Story for the Ages. 
Last week, we talked a little bit about marriage and why it was so important that we uh, that we look at our marriages from a godly perspective. And uh, Esther's story and the story of Vashti and and uh, Xerxes, the king of that time, you know, pretty good to be king. He could treat his wife any way he wanted to and get away with it because nobody was going to stand in his way. I mean, this was a time when there were concubines and harems and all these things were commonplace among royal families. But so much dysfunction, so much uh, bizarre behavior coming from the king and those that were around him. And yet we can learn a lot about what it looks like to, as women especially, uh, to, to be seen by our husbands and by other people as filled with both loveliness and beauty. And last week we talked about the difference between what it meant to be lovely because the Bible declares that Esther was lovely and beautiful. And I thought, why would it say those two things? Aren't they you know, virtually synonymous? But they're not. They're very different adjectives. And so we kind of dug into that a little bit and we talked about why it is so important that we learn to be uh, women who are uh, godly of character and who hold our heads up high and we use the femininity that God has given us for the glory of God. And so Esther did that. It's a great study. I'd love to have you guys join us. And you can do that by going to faiththatspeaks.com. All right. First question today comes from an anonymous listener in Virginia who wrote in to say, do you have any advice for a wife who is emotionally, physically, and mentally exhausted by her marriage? We've been married for over 10 years in Christian counseling several times, and I'm exhausted and drained from all the empty promises and harsh words. I'm tired of having to constantly beg for just a minimum amount of trust, respect, and partnership. There's no physical abuse, just a very high level of selfishness, manipulation, dishonesty, anger, and self-righteousness. I don't feel like I have anything left to give, and I'm tired of fighting. Is there ever a season of peace? Well, first of all, I, I want to just encourage you, this is obviously not God's heart for you. It's not God's heart for your husband. It's not God's heart for marriage. Husbands are called to love their wives like Christ loved the church. We are called to be loving our our uh, our husbands, to be respecting them. But there are always marriages that are bound up with dysfunction. We, we bring into our marriages, right, whatever we had in our childhood, whatever we saw modeled for us. And a lot of times people get off on the wrong foot and they never correct it. It sounds to me like you have been trying to do that. You've said here that you've been in counseling several times. I would just encourage you to do what you what you are doing, to continue to do what you're doing. I hope that you have people in your life who can give you wise and godly counsel, who know the Lord and know your situation. I am... I feel at from from my vantage point, I it's hard for me to give you any really good solid. Here's what you do next, because frankly, I don't know your marriage situation. I uh, I don't know what your husband would say. I I don't know you guys personally, obviously, but to me, having seen this many many times in my own life uh, locally with women that I have worked with, I think that I want you to hear something loud and clear. I have seen marriages that I thought, man, I don't know how these guys are ever going to survive, not only survive it, 
but thrive and come around and, and see complete healing in that marriage. That is what God would want for you. That is what I want for you. And uh, I also know that there are some times that the marriages end up not making it. It takes, it takes two, right? And the person who says no in a relationship has all the power. But I don't feel confident giving you any kind of solid marriage advice as to what you should do going forward, except this. I want to make sure that you understand that this is not healthy. So, and it's all right to say it. You're in a, this is a bad spot. If what you're saying to me is true, then you're in a bad spot. And you probably heard uh, my friend Phil Gunger talking with me about this on Friday, that so often the people that come to him when he's out on the road speaking, their marriages are already hanging on by a thread. And so for those of you who are listening to this and you've got a little bit of, a little bit of struggle in your marriage right now, pay attention, pay attention. We want to keep giving our marriages the tune-ups that we need. And so Anonymous in Virginia, I'm going to encourage you, find somebody if you haven't already, and it sounds like you're just tired of doing it, but you can't give up. You've got to continue to seek help, seek the help that you need so that someone who's in your life, someone who knows the Lord, who can give you wise and godly counsel, can advise you as to the next steps. Uh, I understand what it feels like. I mean, what you said to me really resonated, which is part of the reason why I'm reading your your uh, question on the air. When you said that you that you're just that basically the the apologies don't mean much anymore because they just they they're empty promises. The harsh words keep coming back. This is sort of how uh, how I grew up, and I remember just thinking, you know, it's a, my dad could apologize to me, but it didn't hold much water with me because I knew the apology was hollow and it really wasn't going to change anything. And that's so discouraging. And it sounds like that's where you are right now. And so I just want you to know, I'm going to be praying for you. I also know because I've seen this many, many times over the years, God can heal your marriage. He can heal your marriage. And so I'm going to encourage you to do the thing that's probably so hard for you to do in that right now is to pray for your husband, that the Lord would get a hold of his heart and that he would have the change of heart that he needs to become the husband that God would have him be. And uh, I would also encourage you to continue to get the help that you need. Don't fight this battle alone. And uh, it may be I had a really good friend in a situation like this, and her pastor had uh, her pastor and the elders of that church and the marriage ministry of that church determined that she needed to file for a separation. And as it turned out, that separation was the right thing to do. That was sort of what jolted that that relationship to the next level of hey, we're in a crisis. We need to pay attention to this. So they separated. I can't remember how long the separation lasted, but God used that time that they had away from each other so that they could both work on their issues and eventually that marriage was restored. And so that's what I'm praying for for you. Hang in there and get the help that you need. Uh, here's a great question. I <laughs> I, uh, I thought we, we sometimes get questions about step parenting here at the show, and there are a few aspects of step parenting that... Uh, I know because I've, I've seen them around the Homeschool Resource Center and certainly um, in my family, there are some step parenting uh, situations that we have watched over the years, but it's so important to get good and godly counsel when it comes to step parenting. So this is a great question coming from Jenna in Minnesota. She said, as a new believer and soon to be homeschool mom, my kids are one and four. I find you very inspirational. Well, thank you, Jenna. I'm excited about your homeschool journey. I'm telling you what, uh, it's going to be the best thing you ever do. Thank you for everything. You're welcome. I'm also a stepmom of five, ages 12 to 22. My husband and I have been married for seven years. 
My question is, as a new believer, how do I disciple my stepchildren who are older and who don't know Christ? And I barely know Christ. And being that I'm just the stepmom, I have very little authority over how they are parented. Or do you have a suggestion on books or podcasts that specifically talk about step parenting? The struggle is real. So there's a couple of articles that I want to refer you to. And the first ones I found at familylife.com. They have some really great articles on step parenting. When you are looking for information on step parenting, I would encourage you go to organizations that you know are doing everything they can to pattern the counsel that they give you after principles that are found in the Bible. It's one of the reasons why uh, I like family life so much. And another really great article is found at Focus on the Family. And I'm going to link back to those in the show notes today. But a couple of things I thought was were um, were great. So this, this first article from Family Life really talks about sort of the do's and don'ts for Christian step parents. But this, I think, is, is applicable whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian. Uh, and I loved what they said. They said, at best, new step-parent authority is fragile and easily shattered. And that's why do's and don'ts are a priority if you want to maintain healthy relationships. So the first thing they say is make sure the biological parent has your back, obviously. Striving for unity in, in, uh, in parenting and focus on relationship building. There were some wonderful things that are, um, I think, just really good priorities for you to pursue in those relationships with your children, but they didn't say anything about what to do if you want to disciple your stepchildren. And since you are a new parent yourself, it got me thinking as I was sort of mulling over these notes a little bit earlier, uh, I just finished writing the copy for my women's conference that's coming up the first weekend in March. If you guys haven't put that on your calendar, I would love for you to do that. That registration link is live right now. My women's conference, Faith That Speaks, has a theme this year, and that theme, you guessed it, is shine. I'm really excited about it, just about kind of what the Lord's laying on my heart to share in 2024. But the verse that we are going to be focused on, there's a whole bunch of passages, obviously, in scripture that we're going to teach during that weekend. But the verse we're focused on comes out of Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 14. And honestly, I think this is the answer that you need. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus has said, that we are to be the light of the world. He's called us to be lights for Christ wherever we are. So whether that means that you're a light at your workplace where it feels dark or you're a light at the grocery store, God says wherever you are, you are to be a light. Well, where's the first place that we have been given jurisdiction uh, in our lives? That first place is our families. And so Jenna, God has given you the opportunity to be a light to your stepchildren. And I think that is sharing with them how you found Jesus and how he's changing your life. Let them ask you questions. Uh, you want to be that that uh, that light of 
of Jesus to those stepchildren that makes them curious about what Jesus is doing in your life, how he's changing you, how he's uh, helping you see your role as a mother in a different way, and the changes that God has uh, started in your heart that really are going to end up transforming your entire family. And so that would that's the thing that sort of came to my mind. So I'm kind of wondering if instead of thinking of this, uh, maybe think a little bit about what Kirk Cameron said to me last week. Instead of thinking about this in terms of data transfer, let's start thinking about it in terms of heart-to-heart transfer. How does that happen? That happens over a cup of coffee. That happens uh, when you're reading books to your kids. It's why I love uh, working so much with Brave Books. All of these opportunities are are given to us so that we can take advantage of the time that we have and make the most of the relationship that God has given us jurisdiction over. So you've heard the phrase, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? And we cannot make our children become Christians. We can't uh, make a decision for them to follow Christ. But you know what we can do? We can live our lives in such a way that what we have is something they want. So that when they look at your life, they go, man, what's going on with Jenna? She's more cheerful than she's ever been. She's more patient than she's ever been. When she messes up, she apologizes. And you can say, that's the Holy Spirit in me. It's not me. It's Jesus in me. He's the one who's saying, whoa, hold up. That was wrong. Go back and apologize. Uh, Jesus is the one who's helping me love you guys the way that he loves you, the way that God would have me do that. And so I find that to be really encouraging. I'm going to link back to some of these uh, to some of these step parenting articles. There are some really, really great ones uh, on the internet right now. But I think the most important thing for you to do is to be the light of Jesus to uh, to your stepchildren. I think I've, I told you guys, I'm pretty sure I did. I It's maybe been a while, but years and years ago, I spoke for an orthodontist conference in Hilton Head. And right before I, I got up to speak, my friend Steve Demi gave me a call and I thought, you know, um, the timing of his call was really funny. I know it was the Lord because I was really nervous. I was at a secular conference and they had specifically asked me, you know, they said, don't, don't give an altar call, basically, is what they said. They didn't say I couldn't share my faith or that I was a Christian. They just don't want me to be overtly Christian. And I was thinking, how do I, uh, how do I even do that? You know, because m- my life is about Christ. It's about what Christ has done in me. It was, it's about a healing that the Lord has done in me, the gift of motherhood that God has given to me. And how do I steward that in a way that would bring God glory? And Steve Demi called me. We're kind of right in the middle of that when I was getting ready to uh, to speak. And I told him, I said, I'm just so nervous. You know, can you can you help me uh, put this in perspective? And he said, Heidi, the, the Bible says that you're the fragrance of Christ. So just go stink up the place. Everywhere you go, people should smell Jesus. Everywhere you go, people go, man, what is the perfume that girl is wearing? Because it's the you are because you're the fragrance of Christ. And Jenna, I think that's the answer at the end of the day. So it's not going to be so much about the things that you say. It's going to be about the way that you conduct yourself and your stepchildren seeing Jesus in you. And what an awesome opportunity to see generational change in your family. You'll have to keep me posted and let me know how that's going. All right. Had a great question. This is going to be the last one I do today. I had a great question from Sarah in Missouri. She said, Heidi, can you do a podcast where you talk more about sourdough? I'm interested in this, but I don't know anything about it. 
Uh, she says, I love everything you do and stand for. Thanks for keeping my question in mind. Sarah, you know that I picked your question today because I love making me some sourdough. I picked up sourdough uh, in, golly, when was this? Probably the, the beginning-ish of uh, the Rona just looking for something to sort of take my mind off the fact that my speaking season was being canceled, but life was being turned upside down. And I still love doing it. I have figured out a routine that works for our family. And in fact, I was up early this morning before I came into the studio, uh, given a run, my first run at making um, sourdough bagels. We made everything bagels and cheddar cheese bagels and, oh my goodness, cinnamon sugar bagels. And, uh, I love making sourdough. And in fact, I'm trying something sort of special. Um, I have been dehydrating my sourdough starter because so many people are asking me for it. And I might even be able to mail some out. So stay tuned. I think I might do an episode for sure in happy hour and just sort of talk through the steps that I have learned of making sourdough. Also, I met a woman at a conference that I was at just a couple of weeks ago. And she said that she was literally able to uh, put the kibosh on diabetes in her life by switching to fermented food. So switching, one of the first things she did was switch over to sourdough. And once you start making these things at home and you get into the habit of doing it, the beautiful thing about sourdough bread is it's, I mean, especially if you use, you know, clean uh, flours, like organic flours, it's just stuff that's good for you, right? It's just flour and water and salt. And it's amazing. Uh, you know, to me, it's been a skill I've been working on now for several years. And it's also still, you know, I get to experiment with it and try new things. Like I said, I was just doing bagels for the first time this morning up at six o'clock in the morning, kind of down in my kitchen because the the uh, bread had been bulk fermenting overnight. And I was kind of anxious to see because it was a new recipe. Is it going to rise? Is it going to work? Sure enough, I took it out of my little resting place. I always put my bread in my microwave overnight so it can kind of be in a warm, protected spot. And uh, I just love doing it. I, I, I think that there are so many spiritual lessons that we can learn through the process of making sourdough, the, the patience that is required. The process itself, I think, has a lot of um, spiritual application to it. And maybe that's the, the tack I'll take when I talk about that completely. But Sarah, I just want you to know, I saw, I saw your question. I'm still making sourdough. And yes, uh, at some point, and maybe I can even bring someone on to talk to me about this uh, because there was a book that my son-in-law gave me for Christmas a couple years ago that has all kinds of devotions in it, and they all they go around the art of making sourdough bread. So uh, I'll put my my recipe when I do do this. I'll put my recipe in the show notes so you guys can use it. I've kind of tweaked it now, but it's been working for me for about a year and a half, and I think it's the one I'm sticking with. So. Anyway, Sarah, thank you for asking that question. If you would like to have your question addressed here at Mailbox Monday, you guys know how to do it. Go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash Mailbox Monday. You'll find a form there to fill out, and that's how we get your questions at the show. Please keep those short and sweet and to the point. And I'm going to keep asking for you to leave reviews for this podcast over at Apple, over at iTunes. We appreciate you going over there and helping other listeners find the show by rating it and leaving reviews. Also, I'd love to have you join me at the Faith That Speaks community. And you can do that by just hopping on over there right now to faiththatspeaks.com. And you will find that there is a registration link for my women's conference coming up the first weekend in March. Don't forget, Phil Gunger is going to be here at Firmly Planted Family for Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage, February 16th and 17th. And you can find out more about that by going to firmlyplantedfamily.org forward slash 
events. If you are a subscriber to the Heidi St. John podcast, stick around today because during happy hour, I'm going to answer a question that I get all the time, and that is this, how do I work full-time and homeschool our kids? You guys know that I am a working mom, uh, obviously, and I have been homeschooling our children for over 25 years. So come back for happy hour today. If you're not subscribed, you can do that by hopping on over to Spotify and become a subscriber. That gives you access to premium content here, and also it gets rid of those pesky Spotify ads, which I know you guys appreciate. So uh, come on back for happy hour and I'll be talking about that today. Everybody else, thank you guys so much for listening to the show. I love hearing from you and I appreciate it so much. Love your people well. I'll see you right back here again at the intersection of faith and culture. 